Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hey, everybody. Looks like we're live on this Because Money podcast. It's a Google Plus Hangout. Good to be here. I'm Jackson Middleton. Uh, Thanks for being here with us. I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt today because we're talking about travel. We got special guest Barry Choi on. Barry, how are you over there? And you're in Ontario, right? Out in Toronto? Yeah, yeah, big city. So now you get all the cheap flights from Toronto, so that makes you an expert. uh, Uh, Not necessarily. It's it's funny you say that, but uh, Toronto Pearson actually is one of the highest airport taxes in the world. Yikes. Good to know. But you don't get any direct flights from Regina, Saskatchewan to anywhere. We get direct flight to Winnipeg. I'll give you that one. There you go. So anyway, Rob Engen, uh, as always, the host. And uh, Sandy Martin. Sandy is on a south... Uh, I think she's in the southern United States. I think she said she was in Atlanta or something doing a book tour, promoting her latest ebook. And if you believe that for a second, you're gullible. She's actually at home without any power, pulling her hair out because her home renovation project, uh, after I think ice damming and water falling in and caving in and no kitchen sink for seven months, uh, she's just sitting there on a couch going like this. So we're not going to be back next week, but then the week after, Sandy's going to join us and she's going to talk a lot more than she ever has. So anyways, if you have questions for us on the Because Money podcast today, hit us hashtag Because Money on the Twitter. Hit Barry with questions. We're just going to pepper him. We're going to have a good, fun, lively conversation. And uh, Rob, over to you. Let's start asking the questions. (laughs) Well, thanks, Jackson. And uh, I'm really excited to have Barry Choi on here. And uh, we've interacted uh, on the Twitter and and you've written... uh, posts on uh, on my blog before about travel and uh, you've got your own blog called Money We Have. Uh, everybody should follow that one. Uh, you got some great tips on there. Um, and you talked about some interesting things in your blog on uh, Boomer and Echo about about traveling and uh, maybe start with some of the some of the more str- uh, more strange or exotic places you've been in and maybe talk about why or why you've uh, chosen those places. Um. Well, I don't go to sort of strange because the world's a big place. I like to see different things. Uh, I think for a lot of people, the strangest place I've been to is probably the Middle East, more specifically Jordan and Egypt. I went there two years ago. Um, to be honest, with you, the main reason I went was it was on sale. <laughs> At the time, the Middle East was going through. I was going to say, was it on sale because it was blowing up, or? Uh, Partially, so the trip I did was to Jordan and Egypt, and at the time when I booked it, obviously I had always wanted to go see the pyramids. I think everyone wants to see that at, at one time in their lives. So obviously they were going through this big political uprising, and I work in the newsroom, so I'm very familiar with what's going on with the situations, the tensions, and around the world. And I realize whenever we get this video, it's always in the same place. You know, uh, Tahrir Square, which is the big uprising in Egypt, everyone was following it. You saw police cars going through. Uh, the low coast, and it was freaking out. And at the time, instantly, you know, I kind of joke about this, but I'm like, I saw sale signs all over the place. I'm like, hotels instantly went on sale. Flights, usually, they're not going to drop in general, but I'm looking at all the other costs, you know, tour groups, uh, private guides in general, and internal flights. Uh, So I looked it up, and for the first time, I realized that it was affordable because I like to set a, a set budget for my travel, like, and if I can't make it work within that budget, I cross it off the list. And again, because of the uprising, it was the first time I was able to physically make those numbers work for me. 
So you talked about the uh, the you weren't too worried about you know the safety and whatnot. Um, where can you go to kind of find out a little bit more rather than just hearsay of oh I saw that on the news, I see what's going on, I'm going to avoid that place, or oh I think something's happening you know in this part of the country, but I can I, I can feel safe over in another part of the country. Yeah, people think I'm a bit crazy going into these locations, but safety is the most important thing always, no matter what. So the number one site I recommend to people is TripAdvisor. Uh, you can go to the local forums and basically ask the locals of what's really going on. It's almost to the extent of Twitter, you basically post your question and people who are living there, they'll give you an update. So things you see on the news, you'll hear from the locals like, no, that happened like two days ago. You know what I mean? It's actually pretty safe. If you avoid this zone, uh, you're safe. I never saw a single shot of people protesting at the pyramids or in Luxor, so I knew I was pretty safe. But to be safe, I double confirmed it. I'm like, what's the situation? I know the Egyptian museum is about three blocks from Tahrir Square. Am I going to run into any issues if I go visit there? And at the time, they already said, you know what, Tahrir Square is already empty. We just had the elections. Uh, people are kind of optimistic at the time, mind you. There's been another election since then, so it's been a bit dodgy. So I kind of hit the jackpot on timing. But there's a lot of ways you can also find out. Uh, another thing to think about is on the Canadian government's website, they give you travel warnings specifically for different countries and regions. So the big hot spot in Egypt was actually the Sinai region, which borders Israel. There's a lot of terrorist threats there. A couple of the tourists actually get abducted. But the thing about that is there was always this travel warning with it. It said, avoid at all costs. And it was already there. So these people that caught, I say to them, what were you thinking? <laughs> it tells you not to go there. Go anywhere but there in Egypt. Why would you go there? And of course, they got pulled over and... You know, they're held hostage. They should only blame themselves, right? And that's on, is that Travel Canada? Uh, yeah, that's Travel Canada government website. They give you a list sometimes. To be honest with you, it's a bit outdated. I was looking at Egypt recently, and I know they've got to pretty much avoid at all costs. Um, and I think that's, speaking of locals, a lot of the tour companies are already going back. So that's usually a good sign also. If, a, a ref, if reputable tour companies are already traveling back to those countries, you're pretty safe. Right. But one thing to note also is, if there's a travel advisory on the Canadian government website, it could board your travel insurance, right? So that's something that's a good point. you need to think about because often policies, no policies are the same, but a generic policy will say, if this warning goes up, your insurance is canceled instantly. So you might need to purchase additional travel so let's let's talk a little bit about travel insurance. Do you suggest it? Is there a certain uh, certain things you should be looking for if you are traveling abroad? What, what are your suggestions there? Well, travel insurance is mandatory as far as I'm concerned. So we all work in, we all know about personal finance. Uh, insurance is very important in our daily lives. It's no different from when we travel. A lot of people mistake the fact that you know we've got this great Canadian healthcare, so it'll follow us wherever we go. That is incorrect. So. You know, give you an example, a hospital bed in Canada on average is about $100 a day, which is pretty reasonable. You're paying it out of your own pocket. In the United States, it's closer to $500 a day. So yeah, you'll be covered, but for that $100. So you're going to be on the hook for $400. Any other tests, you get injected with the needle. You get seen in the doctor's free in Canada. In the U.S., it's even more. Imagine if you got into an accident, you broke your leg, and you have to be transported back by helicopter or airplane. You're looking at an average cost of $100,000 from overseas. So if, you, yeah, so if you cannot afford travel insurance, which, by the way, costs you know, a couple dollars a day to be realistic, you can't afford to travel at all. There's no reason why you should be traveling without travel insurance. Is it your, own, uh, your own credit card can uh, possibly cover you on travel insurance. Is that right? Yeah, that's a good thing. Most people don't even realize, but you actually have 
quite a bit of free travel insurance to an extent. So a lot of employers offer travel insurance. Uh, again, each policy is different, so you got to make sure you look into it. What exactly does it cover? How much is Travel Medico? You know, to be realistic, five hundred thousand is probably the bare minimum of coverage you want. It sounds like a lot, but again, like I mentioned, helicopter ride back can cost you hundred grand, right? Credit cards also, like you mentioned, uh, if you have a travel credit card, you're almost covered for just about everything. Usually, policies are up to a million dollars, which is more than enough. Uh, it includes trip cancellation which is the same as trip interruption, lost baggage or delayed baggage, and travel medical. So again, you really need to know your policies because each thing's a little different. A good example is when I traveled to Europe a couple years back, I actually got caught in a snowstorm. Uh, I was in Amsterdam at the time and had to get to Edinburgh to make it to a wedding. Well, this giant snowstorm shut down the Edinburgh airport, and I was flying back to Canada from there four days later. So. I didn't have many options, but as an avid traveler, I knew if I could get to the country, I'd be fine. So I found out Glasgow, uh, their airport, which is an hour west, I was able to fly into them. Now, the funny thing is, that flight cost me $800, which is more than my flight to Europe. Now, by having trip cancellation slash trip interruption, I didn't have to pay anything for that flight. It was covered, completely covered. The extra night I had to stay in Amsterdam as a result of the snowstorm, also covered. Awesome. So, Insurance, you just you don't need to worry. Whereas other people in the airport, they're just constantly freaking out about how are they going to make it. For me, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, it was a stressful time, but I knew how to handle it. No, that's good to know. Now, I spent ten years working in the hotel industry, and uh, we had hotels all across uh, Canada. So I got used to traveling and and uh, you know paying thirty five bucks a night as a as an employee <laughs> of the hotel. Um, that's not the case anymore, and so it's always painful for me to have to book a trip and and stay in a hotel and pay, you know, $150, $200, $250 a night. I hate doing it. I, I, I don't want to do it. Um, so I've, I've, I've come across a, a couple of different options now. One is uh, uh, you're a fan of, I think it's called Airbnb. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? So Airbnb is, is this brand new site, a couple years old. Uh, it's, it might actually have an IPO real soon, which is pretty interesting. They're putting the hotel business... Uh, kind of on watch, you're getting a bit afraid. Basically, it allows you to rent an entire room, a shared apartment, just about anything you could possibly want. So the reason these things are so good is you're basically negotiating with the owner directly. They list a price, and if you agree, just basically, it's like booking a hotel room. It's $70 a night or whatever it costs. But more importantly, you can rent an entire house, you can rent an entire cottage, so both of you guys, you guys have kids. Renting a single hotel room, like you said, used to cost $150, $200. But, you know, if you've got two kids, fitting everyone in to two beds might not be possible anymore, especially yeah. when you have to get older. Well, with Airbnb, you can easily find a two-bedroom, three-bedroom flat, no problem. Uh, when I went to Hong Kong and Seoul last year, I went with my parents. There's three of us. And if you're trying to find a room in Asia with two beds, near impossible, at least queen size. You could get two singles, so it's impossible. So just by searching throughout... I was able to found, find a few flats, ended up being about 50% of a hotel cost, right? So, and we're talking about peak areas. One tip I give a lot of people is look up your favorite hotel chain first, whatever it is. Find out where those hotels are. Usually that means that's a good area, generally speaking. And then basically you'll find an Airbnb flat that's somewhat close to it. You know you're going to be in a good area. You know, that's if you're lazy and you don't want to do your research. So again, when I went to Hong Kong, I had a prime area called uh, Jordan which is two stops up from basically the harbor, and it cost me about night Canadian night. If I wanted an equivalent hotel, it was probably going to be closer to $250 to 
Yeah, that's what I found in Toronto when I, I actually met you there when I went to the financial bloggers conference and you know ended up staying. They were looking at hotels downtown. They're all 200, 200 bucks and up. Um, so looking for somewhere close to you know the conference we were at, and I found an area again, like you said, uh, close to the hotels, close to the conference center downtown, but it's kind of just off downtown, so maybe a 15-minute walk, and ended up uh, paying about 77 bucks a night. So. Um, you know, and you, and you get your own place to yourself, and, and you touched on it there with the family. Um, you know, try getting, you know, like you said, try getting a hotel room for your for your family, but uh, that actually has the comforts of home. So they have their own bedroom. Um, you imagine staying in a one, you know, one bedroom hotel with two beds, and you've got kids. Well, the kids go to bed early, and what do you do? Like sit there quietly and you know, well, that's welcome. Or something. Welcome to my next week. I'm spending the next week in Edmonton, and we. Before I talked with Barry about finding out about this Airbnb, I had already booked a King Suite at the Saw Ridge Inn, which is a good hotel. I like it. It comes with a breakfast. We got a good rate for, you know, we're for seven days we're at about 120 bucks a day, which is fair for a king for a king suite. But the thing is, is I jumped on that Airbnb and now I'm finding places for, you know, a hundred bucks, but it's a three bedroom condo. And I'm like, Ooh, I probably should have done that. So my wife and I have actually been, uh, this afternoon we were on that Airbnb and we're thinking about heading to Canmore a couple days before we go to Edmonton. And our bill, like for, for a weekend in the hotel, the prices, it's Easter weekend and everything's jumped up. You know, we're finding places for seven, 800 bucks for the weekend. It's like, no, but on Airbnb, we've been able to find it less than 500. Are we going to do it? Maybe. But yeah, great site, and that's a great tip because I've uh, just in two days I've been looking. I've already kicked myself, and now we might book another vacation. So uh, we're spending more money because of it. But hey, it is what it is. And the other, I got a few more tips for Airbnb. Funny enough, also as like we talked about family, but the one big thing that I say to everyone is because they're apartments and condos, you get a full kitchen. So obviously. You can actually cook if you so desire. You can buy groceries. So, you know, breakfast is one thing, one meal that I always make sure that I buy groceries for. If you can skip one meal eating out, you're going to save a, a fortune. And more importantly, the prices you see on Airbnb, they're suggested prices. You can actually email the owners directly. Say you're going to be there for a week, you can get a discount. You can just be like, hey, I'm going to be X amount for days. Um, is your rate a little bit lower? Can you make me a special offer? And they actually can. They can write you a specifically a special offer that gets sent directly to you. It's still booked through Airbnb, but you basically get a little bit of lower rate. All you gotta do is ask. It just depends, you know. Easter weekend might be a little bit busier, but if it's a smaller country, you know, I'm gonna Budapest um, next month and I booked Airbnb. I could have asked for a discount, but it was already so cheap it didn't really matter to me in then. Yeah, it's good advice. Awesome. It's good advice with any financial transaction is just ask, right? It doesn't hurt. And uh, uh, you know, if they can if they can budge a little bit, like if you think about they're renting out an apartment or a bedroom or whatever, um, well, if that doesn't get you, if you're interested in, and you end up passing because it's a few bucks too high and then it doesn't end up getting used, well, that's a waste for them. It's kind of like an expire, expired product, right? And so uh, obviously they'll negotiate with you if they don't see the demand for that week or that weekend. We've kind of already asked. We've kind of already answered this, but Noel D'Souza, a friend of the podcast, uh, says, which travel sites does Barry recommend for the best deals, or is a travel agent still the best? <laughs> I know Noel. I've talked to him on Twitter. Uh, well, it's, it's a bit tricky. It depends what you're looking for. So to make things clear, flights, there's no real travel deals per se anymore. Uh, they just don't exist. Every so often you may come, I, I like to say, 
find something that's reasonable. So you kind of need to know your rough guidelines of what prices should be. But one problem what people don't realize is a major site like Expedia or Kayak, they actually don't show all your flights and all available packages. So you actually need to look at different sites. So one major site I always recommend is using Google Flights because it allows you to basically get searches just about everything. These are major flights you're talking about first. Your starting point and your end point. That's your first step. A lot of people also don't realize you don't need to fly into and out of the same country or city rather. So if you're flying to London, you don't need to fly back from London. You can fly into London and return from Paris. It's called a multi-destination ticket, also known as open jaw. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that there's usually no extra cost. And often you can actually take advantage of stopovers. So if you go to Hong Kong, one of the natural stopovers is Tokyo, Japan. So you can book your flight to Hong Kong directly, and on the way back a week later, stop over in Japan and set it for a week later for Japan to fly back to Toronto or wherever you're coming from, and it'll actually cost you roughly about the same price. It doesn't apply to every single airline, but we're using Google Flights, you'd be amazed by how many different routes. So again, with this trip, I'm actually going to Istanbul first. I decided to fly directly, but had I desired, I could have went through Frankfurt without any extra cost, or could have went through Amsterdam with no extra cost. Now those are just the major sites you want to look at first your, your to and from. Within smaller destinations like budget airlines, to use a different site called skyscanner.ca or skyscanner.net, it's basically scanning just the discount carriers. It also lists the major airlines. But these smaller airlines, they don't show up on the big search engines, not even Google. So I don't know if you've ever heard of EasyJet or Ryanair. These are the two biggest discount carriers in all of Europe. Um, when I came back from Egypt, my flight from Luxor, Egypt to London, England was $150 Canadian for a five-hour flight, which is ridiculous if you think about it. And that's what I'm saying about, you know, I had to fit in that budget. When you start getting creative with your flight paths, trying to figure out what is actually doable, yeah, it was actually a bit of a detour. I had to go from Cairo to Luxor. And even though I had to book another flight, it was $100 for that one plus $150. Had I flown back directly from Cairo, it would have been $800 more. So in the end, I was still saving $450 a ticket, and I got to see London, England at the same time. So you should, I always recommend Skyscanner as a good way uh, to really get an idea of what's going on. And what's also more interesting, I mentioned this to you guys before, and I don't normally recommend this, but it's kind of interesting, is I'm flying Budapest to Amsterdam. If I was to fly directly through KLM, it would cost me $800 a ticket, which is, again, about the same as flying Europe completely. Now, by deciding to fly on a discount carrier, and to a neighboring airport, which is Eindhoven, which is a city about an hour and a half south of Amsterdam, it drops down to $400. So instantly I'm getting 50% savings. And on top of that, because I decided to take a 6 a.m. flight, which normally I wouldn't do, it brings the flight down to $150 a person. So from $800, I've gone to $150. And yeah, I'm adding about three hours of travel time and a bit of inconvenience, but you know, I'm talking about almost $1,000 savings between the two of us, which, you know, could be spent elsewhere if I really want to, but more importantly, it's made this trip affordable again. If I couldn't find this flight, I probably would have dropped Budapest completely. Yeah, that's right. where, uh, actually, Rick Tiefenbach joined us on Twitter and says, uh, he says, Barry comments on driving south to fly saved $400 a person in flights to Honduras by driving 400 kilometers to Minot. So he went Regina to Minot and dropped $400 a person on the flight from Minot to Honduras. So... Yeah, that's kind of what you're saying there. That's so. Look at all your options is kind of the 
the gist of yeah. that, I guess. It's a huge deal. Obviously, in Toronto, a lot of people fly out of Buffalo. It's a big savings, especially when you're going towards Florida. But in Europe or Asia, there's a lot of neighboring airports, and it doesn't even have to be you know, flying south. You know, another option I could have done is, hey, you know, if Budapest doesn't work, what if I trained it to Vienna and flew from Vienna, right? So you're kind of just, I basically kind of look at my route and figure out what's actually possible. Where are my entry points? Where are my exit points? And what really works? I try to identify one or two locations that are must-goes for me, and I build around that. And more importantly, I don't ever get married to anything. A lot of people get married to certain locations, and they're convinced they have to go, and they try to make it work. But at the same time, if you're going there and you're really not spending enough time there to really enjoy it, but just to say you've done it, is it really worth it? In my opinion, no, but everyone's got their own way of thinking of things, right? It sounds like you like to map out your own travel path and, and check out new places and whatnot. Can you comment a little bit about an all-inclusive? I mean, we're, we're, we're Canadians and we like to go down to Mexico and Cuba and whatnot, and, and the all-inclusive resort always has that allure to it, like, you know, you get everything <laughs> under one roof and... Well, it seems to be less scary, right, Rob? Yeah. Like, for me, it's like I'm listening to you talking about going to boot. No, I'm not going there. That freaks me out. Unless I can sit by a pool with a drink in my hand for a week and not move, forget it because everything else is scary. Like, do you find that, or are we even are we off our rockers? I certainly understand that uh, some people enjoy the beach and the, and the lazy, laid-back approach towards, but I also find a lot of them haven't really traveled. So there's two ways of looking. I totally get it. You want to relax and you have fun, but at the same time, have you explored? Have you really done these things? So you talk about Budapest doesn't interest you, but you know, hey, did you know there's thermal baths in Budapest? You know, with the water, naturally hot water that comes from the springs, and there's these natural swimming pools where you can sit and you can have your drink by these pools. You know, it's again, it's a whole different perspective of things. My first trip, I went to Mexico, Cancun, mind you, I was much younger, so this is probably not a good comparison. And I hated it because it was so boring. But at the same time, if you find locations that gives you a good mix of both, I think you might open your eyes a little bit. A good example is Thailand. If you fly into Bangkok, you can enjoy some of the craziness uh, of Bangkok for a few days, and then you can fly a little bit south to Phuket, Koh Samoy, any of the islands and be treated like a king. And the overall cost is actually not too far off from what you would spend on all inclusive. Now, mind you, even I admit, if, especially if you've got young kids, there are some all-inclusive deals, uh, especially if you go off-season and you're a little bit more flexible with your resorts. If you're not married to a certain resort, then you're going to find more deals. Right. You uh, you mentioned TripAdvisor as, as a way to, was it forums that you were talking about, as a way to talk to the locals and see what's going on now? Um, I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, where do you find you know, the, the great hidden gems of places to eat or free attractions and that sort of thing. Are you, is that another good destin or a place to find that out? Isn't it TripAdvisor? TripAdvisor is basically the forms, you just wait till you get on the ground and... I always hit the forms, guaranteed. I want to know, uh, TripAdvisor not only has the forms, but they actually rank the attractions, and they're all ranked by real travelers, which is great. Uh, all same with the restaurants, because each individual city has a restaurant section, an attraction section, so I kind of use that as a rough guide. It, it's a bit weird. It can be a bit skewed depending on how the ranking system works. The number one ranking in Toronto is actually this mystery theater that I've never actually heard of in my life, and I've lived here 30 years. So sometimes it's a bit off, so you got to do a little bit of additional research. Right. Uh, but generally speaking, it's a good sign. Uh, from there, for me personally, I kind of get a rough mapping idea. 
if you use Google, you can star locations, and it follows you wherever. So when I start online on my computer, when I travel there, it actually shows up on my phone also, uh, which is quite nice. A few years ago, before smartphones were very common, it was, you know, you're carrying around a guidebook, which I still do recommend, but I, I don't really rely on a guidebook as much anymore. I've kind of gotten to a point where I, I like to soak in that atmosphere, so I got a few ideas of places where I'd like to hit, but if I miss them, it's not a big deal. So when you, you talked about your smartphone, and that leads me into another, uh, you know, get away from the guidebooks and that sort of thing. Now you're connected. You can use your smartphone for GPS and find your way around a lot easier, but uh, um, maybe... Maybe talk about like you know Canadians are are getting are used to getting hosed when they travel to the U.S. on like roaming fees and whatnot. Is there something you could do to kind of keep connected uh, with your phone when you're traveling into some of these uh, locations? Yeah, first of all, what you want to do is you want to unlock your phone. If you're uh, there's been a few changes in the CRTC recently, so it's actually very common to unlock your phone. It's about a fifty dollar charge if you just go to your carrier after you've had your phone for X amount of time. Uh, that unlocks your phone. So when you travel to a foreign destination, you can buy a local SIM card. And the funny thing is, outside of Canada, data is actually dirt cheap. Yeah. <laughs> it costs like nothing. I remember in Hong Kong, I was able to get a 30-day South plan um, with about a gig of data. I think it cost me $30 Canadian, right? And this is with the SIM card. So <laughs> just pop it in and it starts working right away. Um, so that's one way of looking at things. If you're going to the U.S., normally it's easy to purchase a South plan in advance from your local carrier before you go down. And once you actually get outside of North America, Wi-Fi is very common outside. Of, we, we're in this little bubble in North America, but as soon as I've traveled outside in both Europe and Asia, you can go into 7-Eleven and you can buy uh, Wi-Fi cards. In Seoul, basically, you, you go on the subway and you can use the Wi-Fi cards. They're, they're kind of universal to an extent for each individual city. So there's a lot of options, but again, a few other things I recommend if you don't even want to do that. If you go into any McDonald's or Starbucks in the world, there's almost guaranteed to be Wi-Fi. Um, sometimes it's 20 minutes, but I always joke to people, I always go to McDonald's wherever I am in the world because it lets me, at the minimum, catch up with people briefly, at least 20 minutes. I can answer emails, I can do some more research really quickly. And what I enjoy about McDonald's is every single McDonald's in the world has different food. You know, I had a, what's it, a McArabia in Egypt. Best thing ever. Two grilled chicken patties on a soft pita with the garlic sauce. <laughs> I'd kill for that right here. <laughs> nice. Great tips. So one last thing I wanted to ask you about here was uh, um, credit card rewards and travel rewards. They're big uh, here in Canada. We all love to collect our points. Um, is there a specific card that you like to use for travel and to redeem points, or uh, are, you, are you into that at all? Um, I use uh, Visa Travel Infinite through my TD bank. There's no real reason for it. It's just because I happen to like travel rewards, and with my account set up, I, they gave it to me. It's a premium card I got for free. I used to use a Starwood card, which I actually preferred quite a bit because I find Starwood rewards, which is for hotel chain Sheridan or Meridian, uh, to be very beneficial. My dad actually works for the Starwood chain, so similar to you know, I would get a big hotel discount, yeah. and after all, it really wasn't like you compare the points. But to be realistic, in my case, for my card, it's not actually a really good return, I find, overall, because I'm kind of locked to get my maximum reward of points. I have to book through Expedia. And as I mentioned earlier, Expedia does not list everything. Often, they won't even list the best price times because they hold those back, so you actually have to book through Air Canada or whoever. Um, so it actually kind of works against In the end, I've calculated it, and I'm getting roughly about a 2% return 
which isn't bad, but at the same time, you know, if I no use worth jumping back, hoops, jumping through exactly. hoops. Exactly. If I had a cash back card and I just used them on gas and groceries, it'd probably be a bigger advantage. But you know, when I first got it, this is what I had in mind. And, like I don't have kids yet, but I hope that one day when I had kids, I'd have so many rewards built, I'd be able to take a vacation and just blow it all in points. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, as we all know now, the reward cards they keep constantly changing the rules. Like, obviously, we've Aeroplan's a big culprit of that. You know, you can book on points, but all of a sudden you got to pay so much in taxes, which I re believe you wrote about, Rob. Um, and, you know, at any given moment, Expedia could end their agreement with TD, or they could change their point system. So all of a sudden, my dollar value is not worth as much. So I'm actually kind of made a conscious effort now to start constantly burning uh, points and rewards. Same thing with the Starwood properties. Yeah, I've got all these points, but they expire after one year of no use. So. As of lately, especially since discovering Airbnb, um, I've been able to take advantage of that and find enough. I actually tip. want I mean, to use my know. points, but it's up to each individual. Yeah, I mean it's a good tip now. That, uh, you know, I remember my my father-in-law collect air, or air miles and was kind of taken aback by the uh, expiry uh, rules on, on the points because people used to just, you know, you'd collect them and just try to save them up for like 10 years and then go on this big trip. And you can't do that now when, when you need to, you know, maintain some type of activity in there. So I think it's a good rule to kind of burn them when you can and maybe not use those types of uh, programs, Aeroplan and AirMiles, as your, you know, your main uh, travel or travel point collection. The other we one I wanted to more. just mention very quickly before we leave was the... Uh, Oh, sorry, go ahead, Jackson. I was going to say, we've got two questions from the Twitter. Is there sure. a cheap way to do Vegas? Okay, go for it. <laughs> Vegas is, uh, is an interesting place because it's not really known as being cheap. If you're going to Vegas, you've got to spend. You've got to spend big. Uh, <laughs> they've kind of built that city for it. So there's a few ways to do it. Vegas always offers packages. Always, always packages. Your Canada vacations, uh, Western vacations, they package a, a good hotel with a flight. And it's not really cheap, but it's reasonable, is what I tell people. Uh, during the recession of 2008, there was killer deals, but right now you're going to find reasonable deals more than anything else. Um, if you're looking for cheap, you're not going to find it, right? Like those clubs, what I would recommend to people going down there is to find out what they really want to do and, and figure it out. You know, there's a new attraction in Vegas right now called Container Park. One of the big complaints about Vegas is it's not really a walkable city. You have to walk really far distances between each hotels. Uh, everything's really spread out. But one of the founders of Vegas, not really a founder, but an investor, he built this thing called Container Park, took all these old shipping containers, and literally built this mini kind of community downtown right beside Fremont Street and basically brings together local businesses. You know, there's a barbershop in there, there's spa pubs, there's retail, and it's actually made Vegas a livable city again. So. I'm not saying it's cheap, but it's more something to check out. Just find out the alternatives of wherever you're going and check those places out. Cool. One more question. If you great, need to exchange tips, currency while traveling, what's the best or the minimum cost? Do you do it at a bank, exchange counter, or credit card? Um, it kind of doesn't really matter. I would say it's actually none of the above. I would say go to an ATM machine. Um, if you've got a Visa debit card or any bank that uses Visa, if you look on the back of your card, it says plus on it. That means you can use your debit card as long as you've told your bank in advance at any of the machines around the world. You will get charged the spot rate, whichever the bank charges at that moment, plus, generally speaking, your bank will charge you another 2.5%.
which isn't bad if you think about it, because if you're going to exchange money here before you depart, you're going to be paying close to 10% spread when you're going to a foreign country. Now, if you're using the euro or the British pound, it's not going to be that high, but you're going to, when you're going to different places, you're looking at closer to 10% spread. Now, that being said, dollars is being very standard these days all over the world. If you brought Canadian dollars, I don't find it to be as big of a problem when exchanging it, walking to a bank or a currency exchange. You don't need to exchange it to U.S. dollars. Obviously, U.S. dollars will be more widely accepted, but overall, if you're going to bank, I don't think they really care because the reason I say is you don't want to exchange the U.S. first because you're basically getting hit by the spread twice. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, you could use your credit card because it's the same thing. They charge the spot rate plus 2.5%, so it doesn't make much of a difference in the long run. Perfect. Our Twitter's blowing up. We got one more. Barry, <laughs> you have $10,000 to spend on a vacation. Where are you going? <laughs> well, again, it's, it's hard for me. I think we're looking at each individual person, but... You know, one place I will tell you right now that I've gone to that kind of blew away my expectations was this Middle East trip. I went to Jordan. Um, you know, I went to Petra thinking of it as oh, just Indiana Jones, right? And then as soon as I got down there, it's, it's amazing to see this site and just the people, how nice the people are. Or, you know, again, if you've never been to Asia, I'd say Hong Kong is a great starting point. Everyone there speaks English. A lot of people are worried about the language barriers. But again, we actually live in a very small world. Hong Kong was run, run by the British for 99 years. There's not a single person there who does not speak English. It's, it's kind of a joke. The one place I speak the language, they actually all speak English. It's like, uh, I'm not disappointed. $10,000, you don't even need $10,000. You know, you know, you can get a good vacation for $8,000 if you plan properly and you pick up some of the tips that we've been speaking about today. Wow, there you go. Good stuff, Barry. Thanks very much. Yeah, no problem, great having you on. Yeah, Next thanks time. for coming on the show. This is deadly. Alrighty, well, that's it. We're done. If you have any more questions for Barry, hit him on the Twitter. I'm sure he'll answer you. And if he doesn't, then I will, and then we'll give him grief later. So, I'll be there. At Barry Choi. There we go. Thanks, Barry. Okay, see thanks, you guys nice. later. See ya. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involved no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.